You're listening to Language Nerds to Earth, a podcast about linguistics, culture, travel, and how they're all connected. Now it's time to meet your language nerd hosts. One in China, one in Spain. It's Patrice and Rachel. Hello out there. I'm Patrice. And I'm Rachel. And this is Language Nerds to Earth. We are on episode number 60. Yay! Yay! We're, oh, we're back! We, <laughs> we qualify for social security now, is that right? I uh, know, I think that's 65, no? Oh. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. We're close. <laughs> Teachers. <maybe>. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, today we're going to talk about fascism. Ooh! Yeah. Uplifting. Fun. Yeah, so we'll get into what fascism is, how to recognize it, and then hopefully some ways to counteract it. Yeah. To resist it. That way we don't leave you um, too depressed, maybe. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) And then we have a Lost in Translation moment from Rachel. Yeah. Some very awkward conversation that I had. Woo! <laughs> nice. <laughs> Before we get into it, of course, we have our language news today. Um, should we clarify something first, though? I just want to make it very clear. I do not support Donald Trump, and I'm trying to influence our listeners in America to not vote for him. Just in case that wasn't clear yet. <laughs> yeah, in case our like views and stuff have not been made clear. Mm-hmm. So we are doing just a very small part to maybe influence like one person if they didn't already know mm-hmm. the direction that they wanted to take. Well, maybe you might feel differently at the end. Yes. Or maybe you will feel the same. <laughs> exactly. That's a much more diplomatic way to put it, Rachel, as always. <laughs> So, before we get into fascism, we're going to talk about something else, about voting, and it's about uh, voters in the U.S. who are Hispanic. So, native Spanish speakers are actually being targeted by disinformation campaigns on the right right now. So, they are being targeted by online propaganda... For example, we have abortion is being uh, twisted. And as we probably know, in the U.S. this election, uh, abortion is already a really important and contentious issue that's um, sort of been chipped away at over the last several years on the right. And so this is going to be a really important election for that but in these what do you call them ads yeah it's facebook posts Mm -hmm. it's facebook posts it's facebook groups um lots of it is facebook and whatsapp as well yeah well in this information that's being spread around they're spreading things about a few days before birth giving abortions and things like that that are very emotional and not true. Mm-hmm. And they're a little bit harder because they are in these WhatsApp groups, especially, which are, you know, 
uh, a group of people and then they spread around information and it's in Spanish. So it's hard for them to sort of find reliable information. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times there will be an ad that's flagged as misinformation on Facebook when it's in English, but if it's translated into Spanish, it might not be flagged. Yeah. Um, which is one of the things that you were just talking about. It makes it difficult to keep track of. Yeah. And I mean, that also shows the importance of these platforms using people who speak more than just English or <laughs> being able to understand what's happening. Yeah, right. And there's a, the president of Palm Beach County's Democratic Hispanic Caucus in Florida was saying that a lot of people come to him and ask him if something's true. Um, so he he said this year is the worst he's seen mm. in terms of the misinformation that's being spread around. And what was it about the Goya thing? And the basically they're using bots that are uh, mostly right wing to create different things that aren't true about Trump or that aren't true about Biden and saying that Latin culture is going to be canceled. And uh, what we should just also say that the Hispanic vote is extremely important in this mm. election and it might determine either certain states or even the outcome of the election. Yeah, that's right. The um, For the first time, I think it said the Hispanic vote is going to be the largest minority voting. Yeah. So um, just to be clear, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who for people who are not from the U.S., was a really important justice on our Supreme Court, mm -hmm. just died, and she fought for women's rights not only to have an abortion, but not to be forced to have an abortion also, mm -hmm. um, back when she first started. So she fought for a whole lot of things. She was really an icon. But the fact that she's dead, and because Trump will be able to name so many people to the Supreme Court that could sway the country to... A situation where women don't have as many rights as they do now mm -hmm. that's the long and short of it so that's what the abortion debate is about and in the affordable care act is also up for yes what's going to happen to it in a couple of weeks i think oh my god or very soon <laughs> <laughs> so anyway um mm. i think that's at the beginning of november if i'm not mistaken okay well um, so, in the pandemic, losing your health insurance is... If you even have it at this point now, anyway. Right. So, that's sort of what's on the line, and we'll have to see what happens yeah. with this uh, nomination on the Supreme Court. So, anyway, we got a little, a little bit off topic about the article, but... Yeah. It's all related. <laughs> it is related. And it actually um, is really good. It's a really good lead in to defining fascism. Right. So what is fascism? Let's jump hmm. right in. 
it's one of those terms that's very difficult to define and is often misunderstood. Yeah. So where, what is fascism exactly and what are its origins? Well, let's go back to the 16th century. There was a man named Niccolo Machiavelli from Italy, and he wrote a book called The Prince, which was a guide for monarchs on on effective rule. He proposed that immoral behavior, such as the use of deceit and the murder of innocents, was normal and effective in politics. Fast forward to the last century, and Mussolini, who fought in the First World War as a staunch socialist, changed his tune, turned around, and read the book, The Prince. And he decided, yes, this is, we need somebody to rule like this. And so he became the first fascist. He came to power, he had a lot of people behind him, and this was at a time where there was, like, anti-socialism. So this was kind of in response to the beginnings of socialism. And Um, anti-communism. And anti-communism, thank you. We should also talk about the name. Fascism comes from the Italian word fascio, which means group in Italian, And fasces in Latin is many sticks together or a bundle of sticks. So the idea is that one stick is easy to break and many sticks are difficult. So Mm. it's sort of the idea of the group before the individual. And this goes along with... Fascism, that it usually includes a totalitarian or authoritarian leader, and it's very nationalistic. So we're going to get into that, but essentially, that's what it is. And as you said, Mussolini was the first fascist, and people often get fascism confused with totalitarianism and authoritarianism, but they're not necessarily the same. Yeah. It's also... Not the same as socialism. Right. I feel like we should make that... A lot of times, fascism, socialism, and communism have been thrown around in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And um, communism and socialism are two very different things from each other. And they're also very different things from fascism. The right and the left both throw around these terms as sort of insults. But we should really understand what they are. So we can describe things accurately. Ooh, yes. I, I appreciate that, yes. <laughs> so socialism is nowhere near fascism. Fascism is a government structure, while socialism is an economic structure. And uh, just to make sure that we're all on the same page, communism, everybody shares everything, Nobody makes necessarily more money than anybody else. That's the ultimate dream of communists. Capitalism, there's a lot of inequality. People who do really well make a lot of money, and people who don't do well make very little money. And so socialism kind of falls in between those two, and that's like an extremely simplistic way of viewing it, but that's socialism. 
Right. And so a difference between communism, for example, communism and fascism, communism, the idea, we can get into a different discussion if that works or not, but Mm -hmm. the idea is to eliminate social classes. But fascism needs hierarchy and is very much in favor of maintaining social classes mm-hmm. with one super elite or an oligarchy, so many, or a small group of elite people. Exactly. And then Nazism is very similar to fascism, but it takes everything about fascism to the most extreme, and it's very specific. <laughs> Nazism refers to Nationalsozialismus, from German, which means National Socialism. So, Na and Z, Nazi, you put them together. So, it refers specifically to this party from Germany, mm-hmm. but it should be made clear that Sozialismus in German is socialism, but its ideals are completely the opposite. Right. So, another sort of simplistic way of thinking about fascism is it's sort of a nebulous thing. It doesn't always look the same. Yeah. And it's not a specific, like you said, not a specific set of ideals like in Nazism. But there are tendencies and there are traits, and we're going to talk about some of those as a way of recognizing what it is. (laughs) Exactly. So one of the most important, I think, is national identity. Yes. And so this is the rise of nationalism and sort of the exclusion of all other identities to your national identity. And this is not the same as patriotism. Patriotism is loving your country, but also accepting flaws and trying to make it better. And nationalism is sort of the blind love of and sort of reverence of your country that they can do no wrong exactly and we watched this really fascinating well done ted talk by yuval noah harari um who wrote sapiens which is an amazing book and so he's from israel and i highly recommend that you go watch it because he goes a little bit deeper into it than we could Definitely. He's a historian. He knows (laughs) what he's talking about. But another thing he said is in fascism, people sacrifice other identities for their national identity. So who am I? I'm Patrice. I am a teacher. I'm a wife. I'm a cat mother. (laughs) I'm an American and I live in China. And so if I was nationalistic, I think living in China would be an identity that I would probably sacrifice. Uh, And if my husband was anti-American, which he's not, by the way, um, then I maybe would sacrifice that relationship because it's not good for my country. Right. Um, Yeah. Or if my cats were anti-American, maybe I would give them up. Or if it was good for the country that they be sacrificed, you would do it. Yeah. So he said, fascism exploits our vanity and 
makes us see ourselves and our country as much more beautiful than uh, than we actually are. Um, it hides our ugly parts and makes us feel important. That's right. And I read somewhere else also about in fascism, you sort of create this mythical past. And I believe this was um, a professor at Yale talked about this who studies fascism. But you create a mythical past and this makes it seem like your country is the supreme country and you ignore all the ugly parts. Um, So, for example, if you wanted to talk about American history and you wanted to ignore everything like slavery and... Japanese internment camps, Mm -hmm. the things that are undeniably ugly and just paint them with a nice rosy finish. Mm -hmm. That is one way that you could do that. Yeah, you could. That would be one sort of indication of fascism. Mm -hmm. If you saw something like that, for example. Right. So basically anything that doesn't serve the interests of a nation is bad such as a reminder of our dark past, and everything that serves the nation's interests is good. So if a movie is critical of the regime, then it's bad, and we don't like that movie, Nobody and nobody should watch that movie. It should be banned. Or if the, our textbooks have things about Japanese internment camps or slavery in them, then... That those are bad, and we need to rewrite those textbooks. They're anti the country. Yeah, they're anti the country, exactly. So another important thing about fascism that goes along with the nationalism is um, it preserves tradition, and it's also, it serves as a sort of an us versus them. So it's usually anti-immigration, anti new ideas, anything that can threaten the perception of what the traditions are. Mm -hmm. That could be also anti-minority, anti-minority religions or ethnic Mm -hmm. groups. Yeah. Um, So you tend to see a lot of xenophobia with fascism. Yes. Hmm. I wonder Hmm. if we've seen that. (laughs) Yeah. I know. Um, I'm trying to think of an example of that. I guess I'll just leave it up to you guys. Yeah. Um, Included in the nationalism thing is patriotic slogans and mottos and symbols. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, isn't this interesting? Widespread sexism in... Fascist governments, the government tends to be exclusively male-dominated. Right, that goes along with traditions Mm. and traditional gender roles. So that's also really important in fascism. Yeah, speaking of women's rights Mm -hmm. and the handmaid's tale. (laughs) Yeah. Another thing is the disregard for human rights or looking the other way while some groups or some people's rights are violated because there's this heightened fear of the enemy and fear of the other. So if you have some sort of collateral damage along the way, well, that's what we have to do for the greater good. 
Another one, identification of enemies as a unifying cause. So threatening to lock up your political opponents can be classified mm-hmm. under this. Yeah, or again, anti-immigrant, mm-hmm. anti um, and- your opposing political party. Mm-hmm. Yeah, calling them terrorists. Sort of like Antifa. Mm-hmm. How oh, Antifa is a terrorist organization that's going yeah. to take down the whole country. Yeah, who are anti-fascist. And not an organized group, but anyway. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Controlled mass media. This one is really important as well. Mm-hmm. Because... This, it's part of fascism, but it's also part of other totalitarian regimes, the degrading of the trust in the media and maybe establishment of a state-controlled media. So the only Mm -hmm. information spread is what is approved by the supreme leader. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think... An important point is in the U.S., a lot of people think that we have a free press. We do have a free press, technically, but over the last 20 years or so, the press has become more of a sounding board for people who have money and power. So people who have power are ones that you want to interview, and... If you are mean to them, they might not want to get interviewed with you anymore, so they might go to a different news channel. So I think we do have controlled mass media in the U.S. because of that. And another aspect of fascism is the concentration of power and information and resources to a small group of people. Mm -hmm. Another aspect, I guess, is um, the obsession with national security and, as we said before, sort of doing anything necessary to protect them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This one's interesting. Religion and government are intertwined. Hmm. Fascinating. Fascinating, indeed. I think especially with these, um, with the Supreme Court, issues we're seeing a lot of that um abortion and uh lgbtq rights that religion is used as the the reason for that and for restricting those Mm -hmm. and another point that this historian made actually was that elections are not decisions on how you're thinking but they're about how you feel yeah and if you feel like your religion is the most important thing then a government with access to your personal data knows that and they are able to manipulate how you feel about it Mm -hmm. so that's why religion is used so much in politics in the U.S. Yes, definitely. And it's really something that drives people to go vote or to support one candidate or another. 
which is really interesting how that has become uh, even more important. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Another aspect of fascism is the protection of corporate power. What? Yeah. Something Mussolini said is fascism should more properly be called corporatism because it is the merger of state and corporate power. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. And But it makes a lot of sense because if we think about fascism as sort of the elite ruling um, and keeping uh, social classes intact, corporations are a really effective way of doing that. Um, they keep the money and the power in the hands of a few and then control a large amount of people as employees. Mm, definitely. Hmm. Another aspect is labor power is suppressed. Mm, so labor unions are seen as a huge threat to a fascist government. So they're either severely suppressed or entirely eliminated. Just some food for thought. Yep. And the disrespect for intellectuals and the arts. So intellectuals are often seen as a threat to this type of power. Uh, and it makes sense. This Yale professor, Jason Stanley, he did a video for the New York Times a few months ago. And this was one thing that he talked about as well. The distrust and disrespect for intellectuals. And that can include science. That can include people who do a lot of research. People start to distrust those people. Yeah, actually, Pol Pot was a fascist and kind of a weird, bizarre blend of fascism and communism um, dictator of Cambodia. And he, one of the things he did was he would have people killed if they were wearing glasses. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Or anybody who could speak another language. I think the number is that there were... 8 million Cambodians at the time, and 2 million of them were killed over a period of about four years Christ. during his rule. Yeah, it's really scary stuff. Just for knowing a little bit more. Yeah, it's threatening. So speaking of which, uh, fascists are often obsessed with crime and punishment. Yeah. So... How about that? Local police are almost given limit limitless power to enforce laws. How about that? <sighs> hmm. Wow. Wow, this is so scary. Yeah, when I read the PowerPoint, I was like, oh my god. <laughs> uh, another piece of the puzzle is rampant cronyism and corruption. So, hmm. when... All the people in government are friends or family members. family members, and they all do tons of illegal stuff and get payoffs from people. That is one sign of fascism. <laughs> Hashtag how you know you're in a fascist country. Oh, and officials use governmental power and authority to protect friends from accountability. 
Huh. Like maybe getting friends out of jail, pardoning them. Or lawyers. Or lawyers. Yeah. There we go. And finally, the best one, last but not least, fraudulent elections. Fraudulent elections. So. So we are hoping and praying to everyone that uh that this one doesn't go that way but the trust i think from the people has already been eroded so much that Mm -hmm. will we accept the results that's another question yeah if the results are accurate and accurately reflect the will of the people and are accurate accurately counted the election should go to Biden. But even if that is the case and they're accurately reflected, there's no guarantee that Trump is going to accept the results and engage in a peaceful transfer of power, which is the thing that we're all really scared of. Because if that's the case, then we descend into dictatorship. But it's not also just him. It's people who support him, he has spoken about the fraudulent election for so long now. No one from his camp trusts mail-in ballots, which, of course, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And (laughs) so I've heard a lot of people say they wouldn't trust the election, that it's rigged for Biden. And so if Biden wins, they're not going to accept it. Yeah. A healthy democracy needs trust in the elections and voting process, so. Right. Exactly. So, I feel a little bad, like, recording this episode to all of my friends and family in the U.S. and all of our listeners in the U.S. We are hoping and doing our best for you. Yeah. From over here. And I voted by mail, but um, we'll see if it gets counted because also each state has like crazy requirements. And mm-hmm. I've heard a lot about your signature. And if your signature doesn't match exactly the one on file, even though people's signatures change over time and even like throughout a day, like depending on mood, they change, but they, Mm -hmm. if they don't match exactly, they don't count it. (laughs) Did you get your ballot, by the way? Yeah, yeah, I sent it in a few weeks ago, but even after I did that, I was like, oh God, (laughs) is my signature the same as when I was 18? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Probably not. Probably not. Like I, I hardly ever use a pen. I stars on my eye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like when I write a si- my signature, like it doesn't look the same even as yeah. like it normally would because I just am out of practice with writing physically. <laughs> I didn't even get a ballot, so I did a federal write-in. I requested a ballot, but I never they never responded to me, so I did a federal write-in. Mm, so Okay. Yeah, hopefully it works. Yep. Hopefully. Anyway, shall we move on to how to avoid descending into fascism? We'll do our best. (laughs) Yeah. So 
The Israeli historian that I referenced had some advice for avoiding fascism. And he gave a really nice little summary of what uh, people have been fighting for. So originally, before the Industrial Revolution, um, people who were in power um, were fighting for land. And then the Industrial Revolution came along and people were fighting for machinery. But recently this has changed and it's no longer about machinery, it's about data. So people with data are the ones who have all of the power. So politics has become the struggle to control the flows of data. And dictatorship now means that too much data is being concentrated in the hands of the government or the small elite. So the greatest danger to a liberal democracy right now is that the revolution in information technology will make dictatorships more efficient than democracies. So as in the spread of information needs to belong in the hands of many instead of the hands of few. Right. Not just information, but data, mm-hmm. <laughs> data about people. So to the engineers... We need distributed and centralized data processing to be equally effective in order to fight dictatorships. And also, we need to try to get information to people like the Hispanic voters that gives them real information that is accurate and not emotional. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking to somebody about issues it shouldn't be right or left all all information should be distributed without trying to appeal to people's sense of fear or emotions in general mm-hmm. um and when you if you're trying to persuade somebody you need to talk to them about things that they that they are emotionally attached to mm-hmm. interesting um, I read this other article that was about uh, how to take on fascism, <laughs> mm-hmm. and he talked about how fascism grows during polarized times, and that makes it possible for people who have a lot of hate or uh, various bigoted views. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sure. Um, it allows them to come out from the margins and to center stage. So polarization, um, economists have found that it comes from economic inequality. So one way to fight that is to push for more policies that create more economic equality or don't create such inequality um, because when people are pushed to the sides or to the margins um, is when they usually become full of hate, let's say. And that's when um, people can manipulate our fears and our emotions most effectively. So he talked a lot about uh, white men and working class white men who 
feel pushed to the side and for whatever reason, for gender, for Mm -hmm. uh, race, for class. And so those are sort of the the soldiers of these elite people to go and create this fascist regime. Um, So Mm -hmm. if we create more economic, uh, an economically level playing field, then they don't have this vulnerability to fall into the manipulation of the elite. Yeah, exactly. That's a really good way to put it. Mm -hmm. And economic opportunity. When we create more equality, um, we don't fear others so much. Like, you're not Mm -hmm. going to fear other races or religions or others that are going to take something away from you. Yes. Yeah. And you don't blame people who don't have power. Right. And he gave one other uh, tip, which was to not react. A lot of times the, the way that we react to the, for example, the alt-right or the sort of fascist tendencies is um, a strong reaction Um, which is emotional and can turn violent, but that plays more into the hand of the fascist power. Mm -hmm. So instead of reacting, being proactive and trying to work for policies and we don't want to have these emotional reactions that, that show (laughs) that play into their hand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just like what the, historian said as well in one way mm-hmm. so go vote go uh fight for policies that create equality and think about what is at stake in terms of the future of the u.s that's right and we on our podcast talk a lot about you know diversity and appreciating different cultures and different languages and Fascism is a bit like the opposite of that, so. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Well, let us know what you think about today's topic. Mm -hmm. Um, Are you a fascist? We'd love to hear from you. (laughs) But not really. (laughs) Yeah, write us on languagenerdsdoearth.com. And let's get into something totally unrelated and hear from Rachel about her lost in translation. <laughs> okay, so this was yesterday, and currently we are apartment hunting. So I was in an apartment with the agent, and he was saying, he was talking about the parking situation which the bedrooms looked over sort of a parking alley or something. Mm-hmm. And I was looking out the window in one of the bedrooms, so the middle bedroom, and I was asking him, so this is where you hang clothes? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and which is tender ropa? Mm-hmm. And he was like, yes, this is where you park. And I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so, but no, I was asking, is this where you hang clothes? And he was like, yeah, so you just enter from down there and then you park here in the alley. And I just looked at him and I was like, okay, sure. (laughs) What? (laughs) (laughs) So I guess he was like, he thought you were going to say something else and then you said it and he didn't hear you. He heard what he wanted to hear, basically. I think so, because those words really sound nothing alike. And yeah, <laughs> I was speaking with a mask on, but I don't think it was that hard to understand. That's and so we just had like a moment where we just like made eye contact and I just looked like confused. And I was like, <laughs> okay. So how was it resolved? Were you like I just left it alone. Park. (laughs) (laughs) He just kept talking about parking after that too, and I was like, okay, I I don't have a car, so it doesn't really make a difference. (laughs) I'm not really worried about the parking situation. (laughs) So I didn't ask any more questions. I just was like, okay, I can figure it out for myself. This does seem like where you hang clothes. (laughs) Yeah. Some people just want to listen to the sound of their own voice. Yeah. It was weird. I'll be honest. (laughs) I don't think I've had, like, a situation like that where I just, like, couldn't communicate what I wanted and the other person was not even close to the topic. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely... I experience that in Asia sometimes when I know I'm saying the right thing. I know I'm speaking your language. This happened to me in Korean and Chinese. Like, I'm looking at this person and I say something, but they see my white face and they're like, she doesn't speak my language. (laughs) I'm like, no, I am. I can speak Chinese. I'm speaking to you in Korean. But, um... Eventually, like, you repeat it enough, or I've repeated it enough that they're like, oh, right, she's, I can understand her. So it's really funny when that happens. <laughs> yeah, kind of awkward, but, but well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, guys, well, another day, another great success. <laughs> <laughs> great success. Yeah. If we get, if everyone votes, we will have great success with what we wanted to do, so. Yes. Please go vote, Americans, non-Americans, everybody share this episode so you can let people know what fascists are, just maybe they can make the connections themselves. (laughs) Sorry, Odin's playing in a plastic bag now. Oh my god. (laughs) I thought it was going to make him quieter coming in here, but. So make sure that you send us your Lost in Translation moment on the voice recorder on our website, languagenerdstoearth.com. Subscribe to the podcast so you can hear us on our new bi-weekly schedule. And please leave us a review. Follow us on Facebook, on Instagram. We're also on Twitter. And our next episode is about travel yeah so we'll talk to you in two weeks until then have a have a great couple of weeks Okay. okay
Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.